John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today as the word is preached that your Holy Spirit would come and fill these words and fill our hearts that we're not just hearers of the word only, but those who do, those who do apply it and live it out to glorify you. Lord, bless these moments. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Over the last several months, Pastor Jeremy and I have been preaching a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, They've been completely different. So I encourage you to go and listen to Pastor Jeremy's sermons over the last few months. He's starting a new sermon series on Jonah very soon. So today I've, I've got a message about the Lord's Prayer, and then next Sunday is my last message on how to pray like Jesus. We've been focused on that because when the disciples saw that Jesus prayed and how he prayed, they went up to him one day and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And so, as a rabbi, as a teacher, as well as all the other things that Jesus is, our Lord and Savior, he gave them a template. He gave them a prayer. That's the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. And so for us, since Jesus is the example in all things in our lives, we should be praying like Jesus. We should be following this template. I hope everybody has it memorized. But to help us us, um, a little bit more organize our thoughts when we pray, we're using an outline from Pete Gregg, P-R-A-Y. This acronym stands for Pause, Rejoice, Ask, and Yield. And the very first thing that we need to do when we are getting up that day and beginning our day or some point during the day, we need to pause, we need to stop, we need to have set aside a place that we can be, hopefully not distracted by anything, but then spending time in personal worship and prayer. So in the midst of this sermon series, I've been sharing with you how I go about doing that. There's a time that I pause. I try to do it in the morning before my day gets going. And if I don't, then I know I need to do it at some point. Either sitting in the chair that belonged to my grandparents or on the back porch if the weather permits. And hallelujah, it's not 100 degrees every day. The next thing that happens is when you begin to pray, the very first thing that you should do is rejoice. That means you're going to give Him praise. You're going to give Him honor. You're going to exalt His name. Before you even begin to pray about all the things the Lord is doing in your life, spend time just praising the Lord for who He is. I have a list of names of God that helps me in a bookmark and so I can be prompted to give him praise for being my good shepherd and to being the rock of my salvation, to being the the day spring in my life, the one who, 
who I know I can trust because he's faithful. Uh, just spend time giving him praise and exalting his name. And of course, the name that we're blessed to be able to call him as children of God is Father. Jesus said for us to call him Father. And so our Heavenly Father enjoys the praises of his people. That should be our delight. I know it's the Lord's delight. Give him praise before you do anything else. Hallow his name. And then this part of the prayer says that we are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So this is a time to really think about a couple of things. One, the very first purpose we have as believers is to have other people come into the kingdom of God like we have come into the kingdom of God. To me, this is a time to pray for people that don't know the Lord, whether in my family or friends or people that I've come to know in the community and they don't know the Lord, I'm praying for them to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm praying for them. I'm not giving up on them. And, and I want you to have a list of people that you're praying for, to pray for the kingdom of God in their life so that they know Jesus. And then for those people that know Jesus, to pray for the fullness of the kingdom of God the book of Romans says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So pray for the fullness of the kingdom in your brothers and sisters and in your life as well. You are praying for that because that's part of being in God's kingdom. Then, then there comes the part that I think some people may miss, and that is we're praying for your will to be done on earth as in heaven. How do you know God's will? Well, you need to know the Word of God. But sometimes when you apply the Word of God to a problem, and it's not always clear what you should do. I can tell you of some really tough decisions that we have that sometimes it's difficult to know which way to go. So you want to take the Word of God and pray the will of God. And if things as you apply them are tough to discern, pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Apply his word to whatever problems you have and let the Lord speak to you about the decisions you need to make through the Holy Spirit. Well, then we come to the part of the prayer where, in a simple way for us speaking English, there are three big asks. We're asking the Lord about our needs. We're asking the Lord to forgive us of our sins. And we're asking, lastly, for guidance along the path that we need to take. So how do we do that? Well, the first, as we're living as a king's kid, we're asking for the Lord to give us our daily bread. So before I go any further in my prayer time, I take time to give God thanks. I have a heart of gratitude and a heart of thanksgiving, and I begin to count my blessings, and I spend time giving the Lord thanks. If you're a parent, and your child comes up to you, and they ask and for something, and they ask again, they ask again, and they never come back and say, thank you. How would you feel about that? Probably you would begin to resent it. I want our Heavenly Father to know that I am grateful for every blessing He pours out. So I want to spend time giving Him thanks before I even Think about asking him for one more thing. I think I should be giving him 
all the things and praise from a grateful heart. So I spend time doing that, and then I turn my attention. When I ask for daily bread, to ask in two ways. One is to intercede for other people like you, like people on our prayer list. I intercede and ask for the Lord to give them their daily bread, to give them the things that they need, whether it's comforting grace or strength or direction. Whatever it is I know that they need, I ask for that. I intercede on their behalf. And then I ask about me. And when we do that, that's called petition. I ask the Lord for certain things. I know the Lord already knows, but I think the Lord delights when his children ask. And I know the Lord delights in giving us the desires of our heart. So that's the kind of thing I do at the beginning of praying this section that I call daily bread. And then you come to the part where you have to deal with sin in your life. I preached on this the last couple of weeks. How can you possibly ask for forgiveness of sin if you don't even know what your sins are and if you haven't confessed them? And so I spend time letting the Holy Spirit search my heart and my mind. And I confess sin. I confess that sin as I know that without the blood of Jesus cleansing me from all sin, I could never be forgiven. But I also stand upon this promise that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin. So I spend time with confessing of sin. And then you come to the part where you need to forgive someone else. And so I think about if there's anybody that I need to forgive, anybody that I'm being bitter about, any anything that's bugging me that I feel like, they trespassed, uh, and I need to forgive. Because when you forgive someone else, you are releasing that person. And in releasing that person, you're releasing yourself. And so you forgive them. And then as the Holy Spirit prompts you, if you know that you need to reconcile with that person, then you need to find a way, and I have done that, to go and ask for forgiveness or ask to be reconciled and if you've done that and that that works great sometimes it doesn't work and so you have to apply the word of God where it says as far as it remains with you be at peace with everybody sometimes this is not possible but it is always possible for you to try with God all things are possible and you're trying to reconcile between brothers and sisters or someone in your family so I spend time in dealing with sin, sin can defeat you spiritually and you ought to be living a victorious life. So you've got to deal with sin, confessing it and forgiving it and trying to reconcile. That covers all the sermons to date of just giving you a 10-minute review. And now today, I want to focus on what I consider planning my day ahead, as I usually pray in the morning. Planning my day ahead. That's when I prayed, Lord, lead me not into temptation. I didn't share this in the first service, but one of my favorite prayers I read one day was God that began to pray. He said, Lord, thank you that so far today I haven't lied. 
I haven't lusted. I haven't stolen anything and I haven't been mean to my wife and my children. But Lord, in five minutes I got to get out of bed. I'm going to need a lot of help. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. We're going to talk about what that means this morning. Jesus, I think, is teaching us to plan ahead, to be prepared. And to do that, you need to pray. Because you're going to be faced with temptations and trials and spiritual battles in the day ahead. So I want to take apart this little section. I want to share with you how I pray it. First, it says, lead us not into temptation. And i got to tell you, I do not like the way this is translated. The Pope of the Roman Catholic Church, the current Pope, dislikes it so much, he's actually changed the Lord's Prayer for all the Roman Catholics. Did y'all know that? I can't understand where he's coming from. I don't like his little change that he did, but I think it's better just to explain it and understand it from Scripture. It says, lead us not into temptation. God cannot and does not tempt you to sin. Can't do it. Why? Because God's very nature is holiness. And He could never tempt you to sin. It says in 1 Peter 1.16, as it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. And because of God's very nature, God can never tempt you to sin. Let me reinforce it with James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So why would we need to ask God to refrain from doing something that God can never do, which is tempt us? Well, in fact, we're not asking the Lord to refrain from tempting us. The Greek word here for temptation is parasmos. It actually is referred to and translated better as a trial, an affliction, a testing, a proving. It becomes a temptation when during the trial you have the potential to sin. I'll give you that. But Jesus used this word when he was praying in the garden, praying as he faced the cross. When he knew that he was going to have to go to the cross and lay down his life and shed his blood, as a perfect redemption for our sins. Jesus prayed during this time, and it uses this word, parasmos. Paul prayed it. He, Paul used the same word in talking about his own trials and afflictions. In Hebrews 3, 3 verse 8, it talks about Israel and their testings and trials, and it uses this same word. This word parasmos does not refer to an attempt to intentionally make someone sin. God would never and can never do that. So when I come to this part of the prayer, I try to pray it in a positive and a negative way. Like a battery has two terminals, a positive and a negative. You need them both, right? Amen? I needed a battery this week. My car died here at the church. It also died when I dropped Jacob off. It died. My car died like five times this week. I finally got the message. I have a battery problem. So 
So I got it to the shop, hallelujah, and they put it in a new battery for $500, and I remembered there's two terminals on a battery, the positive and the negative, and that's really how I pray this prayer. I usually pray, Lord, lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. That's the positive way. And then I pray, Lord, give me the strength and the wisdom as I face testings and trials today to be ready so that I'm not defeated, but I have victory. That's the way I pray this. And I think about what I'm going to face during the day. So this is very biblical to do. Psalm 5.8 says, Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. And then Psalm 23, verse 3, you know this part. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's how we should pray this prayer. In other words, along with leading us toward good, we understand that we're asking God to lead us away from evil. There's another sense. There's another sense of this word, temptation, that can be interpreted as trials and testings. And so we need to pray in that sense as well, that God will save us during our trials. Here's what 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says for all of us. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You can argue with the Lord about that. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Jesus prayed about His trials and His testings. He prayed about them. So that he himself would be ready to face them when they came. But it makes me ask this question. Why are trials, testings, tribulations part of the Christian life? Why can't it just be easy? Why does God allow us to face these? So I searched the scriptures, which is what I encourage all of you to do. And I have some answers for you on why God does this. James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So one of the reasons why God allows you to be tested and tried is so that you will ultimately grow in your faith and trust Him, and have the joy of victory over those things. Paul wrote about the same, the same problem. Why are we tempted? Why do we face trials? Paul said it was to make us, make us and shape us so we could help other people out. Here's what Paul said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts. Do y'all know what the word comfort literally means? It's a biblical word. It's a combination of two words. 
it, it doesn't mean that this tender moment. It means to give people strength. It means with strength. So let me say it again. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. That means he gives you strength. Who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to give strength to those who are in any affliction with that same strength with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So Paul said that one of the reasons why you go through trials is so that you can help other people who are going through those very common things. Trials remind us of something else. They get us so that we don't always look at the things in this world and they remind us of the promises and the glorious things that are to come. So when you face a trial, you might want to remember this verse from Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. When you're going through something that just never ends, a testing and a trial that you have every single day of your life, it might want to, you might want to hang on to this promise that consider the sufferings that we face right now in this present moment are not worth comparing to what's ahead for us. Amen and hallelujah. Finally, there's an encouragement to us in Scripture regard, regarding the trials that we face from James half-brother of Jesus. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Brothers and sisters, you have in your future a crown of life for remaining faithful. What a glorious thing to think about. All the things that have happened to you in this life all the things you face, one day the Lord will reward you for just being faithful. Now let's go to the next part of this prayer. You know it. We say, deliver us from evil. Not a big fan of the fact that they left out an important thing. There's a definite article in the Greek here. It is literally better translated, deliver us from the evil one. Uh-oh, that changes everything. That means we're about to go into spiritual battle. We're about to go into enemy territory because we know we have an enemy. The Bible says Satan roams to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. You're about to go into spiritual battle. You better be ready. Do not fight naked. Put your armor on. Be ready. So when I get to this part of the prayer, I try to think of it as my coach at halftime, when I played football, and we were behind, inevitably behind, and the coach would want to give us a talk, a pep talk, get us ready. For me, this is me listening to the Holy Spirit giving me that pep talk. And I just want to now share with you what Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, because I often think about this during my prayer time. Right here at this moment, when I'm praying to the Lord, deliver me from the evil one, because I know he's out to get me, and I know you have my back. But, Lord, help me put on the full armor of God today so I can stand against the devil's scheme. That's verse 11. Verse 12, I know that I fight spiritual forces of evil. I don't just fight flesh and blood. It's not about that. 
There are spiritual things happening in the world. And I'm in a spiritual battle. And I better be ready. So I better put on the full armor of God. So in my mind, I'm remembering that I need to put on the belt of truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So I'm reminding that I better have Jesus. I better put him on and the word of God. So I have the living word of God, the written word of God, and I'm putting on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. I don't have any righteousness. My righteousness comes from one place, and that's Jesus himself. He has given me his righteousness. I have given him all my sin. I have the breastplate of righteousness, which means he has covered me. Then I'm putting on my feet. It says the gospel of peace. Peace is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm letting God's peace fill me, and I'm going to be ready to have peace through the day, no matter what comes. Then it says put on the shield of faith. You better be ready. You better be ready for the arrows that are going to be coming your way. And so you better have your faith ready and trust him no matter what happens. Then it says you put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is defined for you. So you don't have to define it. It's the word of God. You need to be ready with scripture, armed with scripture, so you're ready for battle. And then this last verse, you are to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. That means you are to be constantly in prayer, in fellowship with the Lord, praying on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. Be alert and keep on praying because that's how you're going to have victory. Don't fight naked. Put your armor on. When do you do that? I do that in prayer. I make sure that I'm ready for battle. I pray and ask the Lord about my day ahead. I don't know what I'm going to face, but I know I'm not going to face it alone, and I'm not going to be naked. I got all these things that are mine to fight the battle with. That's how I deal with this part of the prayer. That's me. You have to determine what works for you. I want to encourage you to use the Lord's Prayer as a template to determine how it works for you so that you are spending time in personal worship and prayer to build up your spirit. I'm going to share with you one, one story that probably encapsulates the whole thing. Maybe if I would have just said this and sat down after one minute, you'd have been happier. But here's my story. Read a little, I read a story about a little boy who uh, named Bobby and... He desperately wanted a new bicycle. I understand Bobby. I was once Bobby. His plan was to save his nickels and his dimes and his quarters until he finally had enough money to buy a new 10-speed. Now, when I wanted a bike, we had one speed, okay? Each night, Bobby prayed and asked the Lord for money. He knelt beside his bed. He said, Dear Lord, Please help me save my money for a new bike. And please, Lord, don't let the ice cream man come down the street again tomorrow. Y'all understand the prayer now. I could have just told that story and it all makes sense to you. When we pray, we are in the school of prayer with Jesus.
He's teaching us. The Holy Spirit is teaching us how to pray. Our goal as believers, as children of God, is to pray like Jesus. So we better listen when he teaches us how to pray, how important it is to pray, how important it is to come to him. And during this section of the prayer, say, Lord, lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And save me, strengthen me in the moments of temptations and the trials that I will have so that I can have victory in my spiritual battles because I've put on the full armor of God and I am ready, Lord. I am ready to meet my day. I don't know how you pray. I hope the sermons of Pastor Jeremy and I have helped you to encourage you and edify you to build you up so that you will pray and, and see prayer as the central focus of your life. I've asked you to make a commitment to set a time and a place to pray every day. I pray that you will do that. Until you do it, I guarantee you're not going to see the kind of victory over sin that you need to see. You're not going to have the kind of fellowship with the Lord that you need to have. You're going to miss personal worship time. I pray that you will do that. Let's pray. Lord, I give you thanks that we can have fellowship with you and that the Holy Spirit prays even when we don't know how to pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. But Lord, we know that you've taught us how to pray. Lord, keep teaching us. We're slow to learn. Help us to pray, to trust you, because you will never lead us into temptation, but to trust you that you will strengthen us and guide us in the paths that we need to take and give us victory when we face spiritual battles. Lord, my prayer for my brothers and sisters is that they will truly make a commitment to you to set aside a time and a place and that prayer will become the central part of their life so that they can walk in fellowship with you throughout the day. Lord, that's my prayer. In the name of Jesus, let the church say amen. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.